you know, with the right support around you, it's amazing what you can get through. And I think the same thing is with grief. It's like the support that you have around you can really be the difference in where you go and how you feel. And, you know, to find good support is one of the, the biggest blessings uh, that I've been grateful for. Hi, my name is Daniel, and this is The Death of My, the podcast. Today, I talked to my friend, Dr. Joshua Black, about grief dreams. Dr. Joshua Black is the leading expert and researcher for grief dreams. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Newsly. For the first time in the history of the internet, the web becomes listenable. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. Browse and listen to articles from topics such as entertainment, sports, and business. Stop scrolling and start listening. They have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 40 countries. Our podcast, The Death of My, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the description and use promo code DEATH2021. That is DEATH, D-E-A-T-H, 2021 and receive a one month free Newsly premium. Unlimited listening, unlimited skips, and ads free audio. That's Newsly, N E W S L Y dot M E. Use promo code DEATH2021 for one month free Newsly premium. Happy listening. Hi, it's your dad. Just calling to say hi. Check it up and see how you're doing. I hope all is well. Everything's pretty much the same here. I'm doing okay. I love you. Well, hi. <laughs> I'm so glad we get to do this. I uh, We've never met before, which I love doing these, where it's like people that kind of get connected through grief. Um, tell us a little bit about you. What's your name? What do you do? Where do you live? Just all the goodies. All that, all that stuff. So yeah. my name is Dr. Joshua Black, and I live in Canada. So right now I'm actually living in Ontario, Canada, but I'm moving probably in a couple weeks, three weeks, I would say. Yeah. I'm not sure when this is going to be airing, but <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to be moving to British Columbia. So I'm really excited about that. And so I am a researcher, I am a consultant, a speaker. And then also a host of the Grief Dreams podcast. So I kind of get what you're saying, how it's exciting meeting new people that and be able to share grief and hear about their own journeys. Absolutely. It's awesome. So I kind of start all of these off with the same thing. And it's just, who died? For me, it was my dad. That was the most significant loss in my life that really changed me. You know, when I was a kid, I had a couple of animals that died. I remember a turtle and some goldfish. But I don't really have a lot of memories of that and the impact it had on me. But it was my dad that it, it taught me basically what grief was, or t- no, I guess one version of what grief could be. Mm. <laughs> and it completely broke me. And I don't know, did you want to hear about the story? Of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, like, I guess, like, to really understand my dad and my, my journey with, with him, it's to really go back in the beginning. So, you know, growing up, we had a really difficult time bonding is the best way to put it he had a very he had a lot of issues with alcohol and he had issues with regulating his emotions so that just gave into a lot of anxiety for me and a lot of fear growing up as a kid so i never really had the appreciation for him as a father 
I know he was trying to do his best based on the circumstances and his own you know, past, but I was just really afraid of him. And so for the most of our, my life, I never really had a, a deep connection with him. If I saw him, I would try to leave the room. You know, that's basically the, was the relation. And then it wasn't until my mom and him separated that he started to change the way he was parenting is the best way to put it, or being a parent. So he wasn't, after the, the divorce, we started to hang out and he would ask questions about me. Like before he never did, he just used to tell me the stuff I did wrong um, as a way to try and protect me from all that is, you know, all that, all the issues in the world. And so he, he used to just tell me and, and that he thought was the parenting and the style I wanted, but it was never <laughs> the style I needed, I guess. Yeah. And so, but now he was asking questions and we're just hanging out, having pizza, we go to the movie. So stuff I've always wanted to do, uh, like have him do and be a part of, I was actually getting it. And now I was like 24 years old, but yet I still understood. I still was excited about those moments, you know, for me, it's like that child getting you know, his wish. Yeah. And we, we were doing that for about a year and a half, like becoming friends is the best way to put it. And then that's when he died. And it completely, it was a complete shock. Like he had, you know, some issues with his health, but nothing that caused for this concern. And so he was about to, he was supposed to pick me up for a hockey game. He was supposed to take me for my birthday and he just never showed up. And I just thought, you know, maybe he just forgot. He had, he had suffered from migraines every now and then. So he'll usually call the next day and explain, but he never called. And so I kind of just forgot about it. Just thinking, oh, I'll just talk to him next time I see him. It wasn't a big issue. And then I get a call basically a day after that from my aunt who said they, they thought something was up. So they busted down his door and they found him dead on his bathroom floor. And when I heard that and the idea of him like being dead, it was, it was such a shock. But what happened was the tears just started coming. And I was, uh, I guess I am still, I was a good male in the society at that time. So crying was never a thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. And so the tears that came down were so foreign to me. I didn't know how to process them. And I really wanted them to stop because I didn't, I felt so uncomfortable crying. But they just kept coming and there's just a power to that. And I think, you know, it was just how much I enjoyed where this relationship was going and how much I was going to miss them. It was really coming through. And I bet you had some other stuff too from, you know, childhood and stuff. Because he did do some things for me. And as a kid, like my mom had a lot of heart issues. And so he used to always take me to the hospital to see her. And, you know, for me, that would have been such an, something very special. And there's, I know there's, there's probably something in there. Uh, underlying there too on on how he did try to do his best you know for me as a kid but I just remember crying like two three days I went to the the funeral I did a eulogy which I don't know if I would do it again (laughs) but but, like when I went up there I just started crying it was just so real like it was like you gotta have so much courage and so anyone who does you know do that you know like wow it's it's a process. And I remember just sitting like crying for a good, probably four minutes up there. And then my, I, hear, I could hear my grandma who was in the front row saying, we have to take him off the stage. Like he's, <laughs> we got to move this forward. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of like, you know, I, I composed myself and be able to say the eulogy. And I, I really enjoyed being able to do that. But, and then I went back to school and, and this is the crazy part about, you know, just my grief story is that I didn't want to cry. I really didn't. And I tried to suppress it as much as I could. And I couldn't for those first three days. But once I went back to school, I was able to. So I was able to go back and not have one tear in my eye. 
But what was weird and strange was I also didn't have any joy or kind of life in me. And so the best way I would say I was maybe like depressed because it, I like to say the color came out of my world when the when I went back to school. Like once I stopped crying, the color came out. And so it was all like gray and blacks and I just did what I needed to do. And so I went to work and went to school and I was doing good. And no one really asked or questioned how I was really doing because I was I seemed fine. But inside I was, you'd say, like dead. Yeah. And that is the, the craziness of this whole journey because I didn't I just thought this is great. You know, like we're I didn't want to change it i didn't have an idea that maybe i should see someone it's just this is just how it is now yeah. and you kind of i just kind of accepted it and then that's when i had a dream of my father three months later that completely changed me and i still sit in the mystery of it because i don't know who i'd be today without it mm. and so the dream completely did like it made me do a 180 so in the dream i was looking at my father in my room and he was looking so healthy, like it wasn't even like a memory because he always had this heaviness to him mm. and this this weight to him because of like the past traumas and his addictions and stuff. But in the dream, he looked just so light and free, if that's what he put it. And I walked up to him and I said, I'm going to miss you, acknowledging the loss of his death. And then I said, I loved him. And then we hugged and then I woke up. And the crazy part was when I woke up, the color was back into my life. I could feel it inside. Mm -hmm. So, so the dream changed me and it wasn't because I, I woke up and then I interpreted the dream. No, like the dream itself changed me. And from that point on, I was able to regulate my emotions again. I could cry. I could also feel joy. And that, you know, really changed the direction of my grief journey and also how I remember him moving forward. Do you have any siblings? I do. Yes. I have three siblings. How was it talking to them for the first time about the loss of your dad? Well, they were in the same household as me. So they were all traumatized in many ways by my father. So as much as, you know, like for me crying, you know, like my older sister, you know, like I can't remember. She would say like nice things, but I don't know if, what she was truly feeling. Yeah. And same with my brother. My younger sister was a little bit, um, had, had a closer bond with my father. And so she was grieving a little bit, a little bit more, I guess, in the sense of uh, vocalizing it. Yeah. But uh, there's just a lot, there's a lot to do, you know, for the funeral and everyone just did their own thing in many ways. So my sister, like, she's very active and like, want to do the, the presentation, my older sister anyways, want to do the presentation of the photos and collect the photographs and all that sort of stuff. And that, that's the way she was like processing her grief. And I'm not sure what my younger sister did too much. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what she did um within there but i know i remember her like being at the casket a lot and yeah. and you know crying and so you know there's just the different ways we process it and like we all had all different types of traumas from our childhood so you know, that's why i'm saying like the unique thing with my story was that we really had a bond that was being bridged and being awesome. like you know had like that a lot of the other siblings just didn't have at that time yeah and i think grief really takes us either like apart or really puts us together and i'm glad it puts you guys together would you say you're really close now i think we're we're all we, well i don't know if it's close <laughs> but we're, we're like you know like we're just you know different people yeah with different issues but yeah like no one no, like no one hates each other right, right <laughs> so but we're also like just not best friends like we see right. each other every day or call all the time and so i don't know if the grief did anything um yeah. for the family's dynamic at all um it changed the direction of my life in many ways. 
Yeah. Like I talk about my dad a lot with my sister and my grandma more. Hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't know if it really changed much in the relationship. So I know what you're talking about, right? How it can sometimes bring people together or people get really, you know, get a lot of hatred and jealousy yeah. and whatever like that happens from it. But no, like, I would say it remained pretty constant. And just the way we communicate as a family, I think that's sort of the issue that was what happened in the environment that you're afraid to talk. Like my dad sort of really put into us. Well, our communication styles are hindered a lot. You know, mm -hmm. I had to learn, you know, probably the last 10 years how to talk properly and how to like carry on a conversation. And, you know, my other siblings are, are still learning that in many ways because it's just difficult as children to learn proper communication when anytime you try to talk, you get yelled at to be quiet. And so you become sort of this person in a shell. And you don't want to offend anyone. You don't want to, you know, erupt any kind of emotion. So you be quiet. And so you're just really delayed. And it really takes, I think, a, a desire to change and to realize that you can be more in the sense of facilitating communication. And so for me, I was like such so shy, so cautious with my words. I usually didn't say much. But then, you know, once I was in university, we had to do seminars a lot. So that really pushed me into needing to talk to get grades and I, you know, I, I valued grades. So like, I was just, I remember just sweating all the time after every, after every seminar, just because I, I like, I, it was just so uncomfortable for me, yeah. but I had to do it. And then I became a, a, a TA and you're now you're, you're paid to talk to the class and organize <laughs> stuff, which is insane. And then I started, like I said, like doing the research on, on grief dreams and stuff, and then doing public talks and like these, these interviews and stuff. And you just, I, I gained a lot from doing that. And I gained a lot from friends that I've had where I just like really learned from them, you know, what are they saying? And like, you, you really learn their communication style. And I really took a lot of that and, and changed my way that I saw how I should communicate. And so I really mm -hmm. challenged myself to become more in that area. And I'm glad I, I have because it's, it's done wonders for my confidence and also my research. I love it. Do you feel like you had uh, like good friends around you when all of this happened? Well, I had the friends that I, I had. And so yeah. like back then I, the, like one of my main friends was just like someone who I used to like play basketball with. And so, you know, he was, he came, which was nice. And, you know, we still played some sports afterwards, which, you know, it's, it's great in the sense of that's how I used to cope before. But, you know, I also have, I think my partner was probably who I was with at that time was probably a little bit more beneficial because she would ask about me and, and talk to me about like the, my emotions, which yeah. my other friend wouldn't. So I think, you know, that really helped me a lot, but it was the dream that really, I think, saved me out yeah. of anything. Yeah. And then that dream was a turning point because that is now your life focus, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so real quick, how, how long ago did this all happen? So that was, he died in 2008. Okay. 12, yeah. 13 years. Yeah. 13 years. Um, do you, before we get into the dream, have you noticed though your grief change over the last 13 years? Yeah. In many ways. Like, in, yeah. Yeah. Like in the beginning, that first three months was, uh, it just like gray. And then the color came back and that transition was huge. And then it was just processing the emotions when they came. And that was a difficult thing in itself because as a good male, I wasn't processing emotions. And, you know, as much as like I had the, the dream, I was still learning about myself and who I, who I wanted to be. 
I needed to learn about my own emotions and what they were representing within me. And so grief was an interesting part in all that because I learned some new things that I didn't know before. So I remember it was the, so he died in January. And then I remember um, it was the first, I remember like having, I'm a pretty nice guy in general. And I remember just being so angry at everyone around Mm me. Like I remember walking to, uh, it was just this one day and I was walking uh, through this department store and everyone I saw, I just hated, you know, just like, <laughs> it's just like one of those things I couldn't, and I didn't really understand it. And then I walked by like the card aisle and then I, I looked up and I said, happy father's day. And I said, Oh, and I looked at, and I realized that day was actually father's day. Mm. And then I started to cry and the anger went away. And it was the first time I would say, I really realized how unrepressed, how repressed sadness can actually manifest in anger yeah. and, and like that hate. And, that. and so like, for me, it was such a big learning tool to just like the importance of processing emotions when they come. So then it doesn't manifest in these weird ways because I, in that moment, I probably could have gotten a ton of fights and yeah. blame them for the fight. Right. Like, but it's really just, I wasn't crying and understanding the significance of having, not having a father on a, a day that celebrates fathers. It was the yeah. first one. And so like, I think, you know, with that, you know, as I moved forward and I kept having dreams of him, which I think really benefited me in, in many ways. And, you know, I talked to my grandma a lot about my dad. And one of the, the interesting things I found was that after he died, before he died, I, I don't know if I cared so much about who he was as a person before me. Yeah. You know, like I always saw him as, you know, he existed when I existed. So like, who was he as a dad and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm after he died, I'm like, wait a second, he had a life before me. (laughs) And so I was asking my aunts, my uncles, and my grandma a lot about who he was as a kid and his past and what he went through. And even my mom, like their relationship, how they met, like, these are the questions I've never asked before. But yet, I was really intrigued, because I wanted to get a better idea of who he was as a whole, to really better understand him and also his trauma, because I was in the psychology at that time. And so I was, you know, I, I really sort of, you know, had a inkling to like, for my forgiveness, I think for him and, and how we were raised to understand them is the best way that I felt was the best way to understand, to do it because you realize that, you know, they had their own traumas that were never dealt with. And like, what, what were they? And you start seeing them more as rather than someone who's caused pain, but someone who was in pain. And so for me, it was just really trying to figure out what that pain was. So once the dreams, the dreams started happening and then they kind of kept happening. What, what happened to you? What happened to your life? What happened to your career? And how did you get to where you are now? It's a big question. <laughs> I, uh, and so that dream, I said like the first dream was amazing. The next dream I had was, it was interesting because that first dream was really about my grief because I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And that dream really helped unlock that block in a way. And then I also never told him that I loved him. The last time I told him I loved him was probably when I was a kid. So to be able to say that in a dream, I think was very beneficial for me, mm-hmm. which I, you know, looking back, I never would have thought I needed that, but it definitely did. And then there was also like this piece about just the love and presence of the dream. Anyway, so that was the first dream. The next dream I had was about two to three months later after that. And we were driving in his old safari van. And mm-hmm. I remember him pulling up to his, his mother's house, which would be my grandma, and getting out. And then we both got out and we're looking at the house. And he turned to me and said, she's doing pretty okay without me. I said, yeah, dad, she is. 
And so I woke up and I felt just, it was different because it wasn't about my grief per se, but it was about his mother's grief. Yeah. And for me, it was just like, it was just one of those, it was just a nice feeling. And at that time I was talking to my grandma a lot. So I think it gave me reassurance that she was doing okay. She took it really hard um, from, you know, for many reasons. Um, but yeah, it was just really, I think for me is allowing me to see that she was processing her emotions. Yeah. And then after that, it was just like, you know, they just kept happening every two or three months. Um, but what was interesting was at that time I was just finishing school and I've always wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And that was something that he really, I think, put into me as a kid. Like he always said that they had the best pensions. This is the job you need. They get summers off. They get paid really well. Anyways, in Canada, I'm not sure the States. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, he, he really sort of, you know, told me the importance of that career. So a lot of my life was based on getting that, like the, like the volunteer that volunteering I did was based with, you know, with, you know, basketball camps and doing stuff with children to really increase that resume. So I, I could get in. And then, so yeah. anyways, I got the interview to get in and I turned it down and oh. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing because if my dad was alive, I, I don't think I would have turned that down. Yeah. But I think it was, yes, he was dead. So maybe there wasn't the pressure, but I think there was something else that was, I think, coming up to the surface. I didn't really understand or fully understand yet, but I knew there was an intuition that was saying this isn't right. And so I turned it down. And it was so scary for me because I had no plan B. Like I went to school for this. And then, yeah. so I took a year off basically, well, nothing else to do. I took a year <laughs> to see what I could do, you know, with a psych degree and there wasn't really anything that was fulfilling. And so I was still trying to figure out meaning and, you know, work through different aspects of, of my own loss. And then, what happened was I decided to, you know, since I felt I worked through a lot with my dad, I'm like, what about, you know, working or volunteering, you know, with the bereaved? And so I went to a hospice and I worked one-on-one -on -one and also helped with grief support for the bereaved and to really provide some meaning in my life. And it, it was beautiful. I really enjoyed, you know, being a part of that. But this is where another aspect of life changed where, you know, I was seeking for direction. I still didn't know what I was doing, but, you know, that at least... Um, helped me a little bit. But when I was talking to these people, they kept bringing up these dreams that questions on these dreams, like why haven't I had a dream like someone else had, or what does it mean to not have a dream? And other people are saying they're having negative dreams of their deceased loved ones and they're scared, you know, with that and they didn't know how to handle that or what to do. And other people are just having kind of like these, these weirder dreams. And, you know, some people did have these positive dreams and they shared it. And, you know, at that time, I never brought up the dreams. Like I had my own dream, but I can't remember sharing it with anyone. It was just one of those things that was sacred to me and it changed my life, but I don't remember even sharing about it. But anyways, these people are talking about something like this. And I was like, wow, like, I don't know. Like, those are really interesting questions. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the, I still had, you know, access to um, the school library where I did my undergrad. And so I went and I looked at the research to see if there's anything I can provide them to give them some answers to what they're seeking. And it, it was a complete shock when there wasn't really anything in the area for them. It was like, there's, it was the craziest understanding to realize that the, this was, research wasn't really done. So the, there was nothing I could actually provide them. So I came back empty handed and I didn't know what to say. And so I didn't really say anything, but I had a moment there where I'm like, could I help answer this question? Like I never wanted to be a researcher. And it, it scared me completely to even think about even trying to be a researcher, but could I, could I be the one to actually do this? 
And so after getting enough courage <laughs> to say, you know, like, the, what's the worst going to happen? You just try and see what, see where it goes from there. And so, you know, for me, that's basically, that was the path. And so um, the difficult part when it comes to this topic is because no one studied it, there's no supervisor that can actually be the guiding rock for you. Right. Because it hasn't been done. So you got to go in like, it's kind of the outsearch. And so I went to, I found an individual who did uh, dream research, which was really amazing. And she actually was close by to where I was living at that point. And there's only like a cut, there's, you know, there's not many in the world. And so right. it was really surprising that there was one right there. And anyway, so yeah, she didn't do the topic, but she was interested in it herself. So I did my master's there. And that's when I really learned about the vastness of the topic and how important it truly is. And then I got to do my PhD at a different university mm. and the individual studied trauma, which was, and she had an interest in dreams, um, but her focus was more or less trauma. And so I was able to, you know, do that. And it was just amazing because without those supervisors approving me to do the projects, I wouldn't be here either. So right. uh, I got to answer all the questions I needed to. And I think that's the phenomenal part of it all. And I get to talk about my dad all the time. So, <laughs> which was, I think, you know, to, to and to help the bereaved, which is even more meaningful, I think, as I move forward with mm -hmm. the answers, because, you know, grief is so hard. Like, I remember how difficult it was and it still is at times, you know, yeah. like you get triggered in many moments. Like the last moment I got triggered in was actually when I graduated. I, uh, so usually when you get like a degree, you go on the stage and you walk off the stage. Mm -hmm. When you get a PhD, you go on a stage, but you get to stay on the stage because you're <laughs> equal now to the people who are giving you the diploma or degree. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, that's when it actually really hit me and I just started I was crying up there because I wanted my dad to be there so much. Yeah. I really did. And yet he couldn't though, because the whole reason I even got here was because he died. It was a really yeah. weird process. So anyways, yeah. I closed up my <laughs> crying for a little bit just because I didn't want to go too uh, hardcore on stage there. <laughs> but then I got out and I went to the car after it was all done and I, I let it out. And I think that's the beauty of um, being able to feel your emotions is that you can control them a lot better. I wasn't trying to suppress it to avoid it. I just, there was a better time I could utilize it, be able to, to feel that. And I did, and I was able to let them out, but I, I realized how important that was for me. And that was the biggest trigger that I've had since, um, in the last couple of years. And it just reflected the, the, the sadness of him not being able to witness, you know, such a significant moment in my life. Because yeah. the, the amount of hard work and, and dedication it took to get there, I wanted to drop out so many times. I wasn't I wasn't supposed to be a researcher. So like everything I learned in school, it was about being an elementary school teacher. And so to be the researcher, I had to learn a lot of things. My learning curve was pretty steep compared mm -hmm. to the people and my colleagues around me. But you know, it was just amazing how, you know, with the right support around you, it's amazing what you can get through. And I think the same thing is with grief. It's like the support that you have around you can really be the difference and where you go and how you feel and you know to find good support is one of the, the biggest blessings uh, that i've been grateful for yeah losing my dad was the best worst thing to ever happen right like the worst most devastating thing in the whole world um but the best because now my whole job and life is to help people with their grief no matter you know kind of all over the place and what it looks like and and that's just been so rewarding. So I'm just curious, like, how do you meet one-on-one? -on -one? How does it work? Or are you collecting data from all these people? Yeah, lay it on me. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things that, you know, there's a lot of studies I've done, right? I have like eight publications. So there's different ways you can collect data. Um, 
and each one of those helps a specific question and so you you direct your your studies based on whatever that is but i do do one-on-one -on -one, you know with people one-on-one -on -one consultations with people now because it is difficult for people to understand their dreams in a world where no one teaches you the value of dreams mm -hmm. and like that where that's what I was coming from. Like I came in a world where not only the culture didn't value dreams, Western culture anyways, but my family and my, so my, my parents used to always tell me that my dreams actually were um, made from, or it was the devil that was, you know, trying to get me. So I was very scared of dreams because I felt that it was a, a negative thing and there's a negative individual that was trying to hurt me. And so, you know, I didn't value dreams at all until I, I really had a dream uh, actually a couple of years prior to the dream I had with my father that really told me that these dreams were meaningful because um, I, had a, I had a question that I basically went to bed with and I got an answer to that question in my dream. Mm -hmm. And it, it was such a weird thing because it, I, knew the, I knew the answer waking up from the dream. And I always at that moment realized the importance of that of dreams in my life. And I utilize them as a tool now to understand myself and to basically get answers to some of yeah. the things I was seeking. So like I, I knew a little bit of that before my dad's um, the dream. So I kind of value dreams ahead of time. But, you know, for a lot of people, they're growing up and they, they just don't know. And when they they do feel this dream was important of some sort, they'll go to the Internet or they'll go to a dream dictionary, try to figure out what it means. And that's like such a, a bad way to try to understand your dreams. Like mm -hmm. our dreams represent our waking life in many ways. And our symbols are going to be different based on who you are versus who I am, based on what mm -hmm. we know. You know, there's some cultural similarities based on how cultures treat, you know, teach things. But for the most part, your symbols are going to be very unique for you. So no one's going to really be able to tell you what your dream meant. For you like it takes like a good and like someone who's good at you know helping you with your dreams is someone who realizes they can't do it without you like yeah. the dreamer needs to be the one really there to put the pieces together all the other person is doing is really asking the right questions to facilitate an understanding of what the dream is is doing so yeah i do that um for for people which is always great like, i've seen thousands of dreams and when it comes to the deceased being present like there's there's a lot of common themes and I've talked to so many people, you kind of get an idea of like what it's referring to in many ways. Yeah. But you know, like that's just where, where I'm sitting, which is kind of nice for me to be able to have that kind of information yeah. moving forward. But yeah, so, you know, when it comes to the research though, like I think there's, there's a lot for people to know because there's a lot of questions out there. And, and you mentioned that uh, you, you're reading the, the book and I think, you know, some, a lot of people do go to the spiritual side of these dreams because, um, you know, like they, they see how beneficial it can be for, someone who's spiritual who wants one they want to understand that they've crossed over kind of thing and that kind of gives them that confirmation uh, other people it's just it's the thing they hold on to that allows them to believe that they're still loved um and then they they're there to support them so they still feel safe in many ways and that can help really with um one's continuing bonds you know with the individual um and then also process their grief in many ways and if you're after loss if you're um, religious and um, you start blaming God or become angry at God, these dreams mm -hmm. can actually help that in many ways for you to feel comforted. Yeah. And so that's like the spiritual side of these dreams. But, you know, I did research and I found, you know, spirituality has nothing to do with actually remembering these dreams. So people who are not spiritual are having very similar dreams. And this is the thing that I think is the most interesting of it all is that everyone is having these dreams, like for the most part. Yeah. And how we interpret them is very different. And so someone who's spiritual 
won't typically have the um, deceased ever talking about the afterlife. Mm. But with someone who's spiritual, you'll see that, or you'll see angels or references to heaven or whatever, right? The religion is. Right. Uh, people who aren't spiritual, it'll just be about love. There's no like extra thing. And so I think mm. it's very interesting when you look at that. And both, you know, samples will still have these negative dreams too. And when we talk about, you know, negative dreams, it's important to understand that some people view negative dreams also as a visitation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when looking at that, you have to realize that, you know, we need to know more about these dreams to help people understand their dreams. They don't go to, this is a visitation because it can actually, I think, hinder people in their grieving process. Um, yeah. But we need to understand that dreams do represent our waking life in many ways. And when it comes to these negative dreams, that's when you can really see it um, to the full extent on what someone is dealing with. So a lot of times it's like in my own research, I found that, you know, those negative dreams and distressing dreams are related to trauma and unresolved feelings of guilt or blame. Mm -hmm. You really see that through the imagery. And, and, you know, just that knowledge allows people to, I think, to take a breath and realize that these dreams aren't there to reduce our sleep or to scare us. These dreams are actually trying to help us in many ways. Like when we're asleep, we're, we're still processing all of our emotions. It's not like we just turned off a computer. Like it's really, like our mind's really active and it's really trying to help us, you know, solidify our memories and work through problems. And these dreams are a solution to many of that. And you can learn a lot about yourself through what you dream, because if dreams represent a waking life, you'll notice a lot of patterns in your dreams. And also uh, research has found that if you're, happy and joyful in waking life, you're going to have more positive dreams. If you're anxious and more worried, you're going to have more negative dreams. And mm -hmm. so on average, most people have negative dreams just because we go to bed anxious for the most part. And it's very hard to keep a calm state. And a lot of stuff that we listen to before bed also is very negative versus mm -hmm. the news, shows, movies, whatever we do. And then after trauma, what's interesting is that, you know, your dreams become even more consistently negative. So in grief, we would expect a lot of our dreams to be negative. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there's a lot of rich detail and a lot of understanding we can learn from ourselves on how to sort of help ourselves work through this a little bit quicker mm -hmm. and a little bit more in a healthier way. But what's crazy is that when it comes to these dreams of the deceased, um, you'd expect them to be more negative in nature because that's what the research has shown in the past when it comes to dreams. But, you know, just in my research, what we found is that that's actually not the case. The opposite is true. Most dreams people have will be positive in nature. And I think, you know, that's why a lot of people do maybe venture it off to it's a visitation or something different because these dreams are acting differently than normal dreams. Right. So there's something beautiful there. And I said, like, I don't know, you know what's going on. You can't test the afterlife, <laughs> but you can only test that these dreams are functioning a little bit differently than regular dreams. And I think that is very beautiful and very interesting that there is something going on yeah. right there. And most people, as I said, will have a dream at some point after loss. And so I'll just give you some numbers. So after I did a study after spells loss and partner loss, and 86% had a dream of the deceased, uh, one to two years after loss, after pet loss, it was 78% within six months. And then um, after miscarriage, it was 57% uh, within, the, within the year. And they're dreaming of the child that they've actually never seen before, which I think is very, very interesting. And then children also have these dreams too. 55% of children had a dream of the deceased parent. So this is a topic that needs to be talked about just because it's such a frequent thing yeah. for people to have. And like how we interpret it is very important with how we feel afterwards. Cause you can have a very positive and loving dream. Kind of like what I had, you wake up and someone tells you something that it means something negative. And all of a sudden 
or if you interpret it in a negative way, all of a sudden what was supposed to be comforting now turns to something that's very distressing to you. And so I always try to teach discernment when we, we tend to like try to interpret our dreams. And uh, it's, it's very important that we, we can do that. Yeah. Do you, I guess, I, I mean, I like have a bajillion questions. I'll try to keep it short. But <laughs> um, I, I guess the biggest one is like once you had your first dream or the big one about your dad yeah. and fast forward to everything you know now, what would you say was happening in that dream with your dad? Well, looking back on it, the, the one thing is to say I got to say goodbye to him, which was I definitely was a block for me. Yeah. And also that I love you. Right. Those are two things that I feel that because I never got a chance to say hindered me in processing my emotions. Like those were the big ones. Yeah. But the really the interesting part of that dream was there was this feeling of peace and love. Right. Like because I could have had a dream of him where he was normal. Like I remembered him a little right. heavy and traumatized a little bit and still said that. But for the image to be he was healthier than he's ever been before, for there to be a love and peace in the imagery. I feel there's something about that that actually helps that helped me more than I even know because it's such a common theme that you see with a lot of people who say that their dreams help them. And I don't know what that is or where it comes from because why don't we have that all the time? Because if <laughs> it feels like, you know, there's healing power in that. And I would say that, you know, that feeling is I think what love is. And so I feel that love is like this that strongest medicine. It's the thing mm -hmm. that can actually help us the most. And to be in a state like that. I don't know what it's doing for the body, but you, you got to imagine it's doing something very powerful yeah. because it's not something that we normally can achieve in waking life. I'm still trying to get there to tell you the truth. Like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, cause we have so many worries of the past or the future and it's all it clouds, like where you can go in your heart. But yeah. in that moment, none thing matter. I even knew he was dead and it didn't matter. Like there was just this peace. And so I think there's something about that, that, uh, I, that I think has a huge impact on me feeling the way I felt. I felt like that was the thing that reset me as much as those other things were a part of it. I think it was the love. Mm -hmm. Do you remember your dreams always every night? Well, <laughs> well, we're dreaming throughout the night. So if you're dreaming, like if you're sleeping like eight hours, you're probably dreaming about five hours because you're dreaming in non-REM and REM. But I usually remember, you know, three dreams a week. That, do you write them down? I, I used to. So <laughs> funny story. So I uh, dreams are, are you can adjust your your dream uh, frequency. So I was you know I usually dream about you know three three times a week. I remember dreams two times a week. But when you write them down, what's interesting is you're telling your mind that they're important, and so your mind will start remembering more. And so I did this when I was in my master's because I heard a study that looked at this and it actually said that you can actually increase your dream recall rate. Yeah. So I tried it and I was, you know, after I think it was about a month or two, um, I started having, you know, three dreams a night that I was remembering and I'd wake up, write it down, but I was getting so exhausted because I, I kept like <laughs> wake, yeah. writing them down, right. And having <laughs> to wake up. So I've decreased it now. So I only write down the more important dreams. Mm. And I think now too, like, it was a good 10 years there where I looked at a lot of my dreams to understand who I was, you know, the different emotional blocks I had. And so now I feel like I, I learned so much about myself. I I'm processing things a lot easier in waking life. So I don't need my dreams as much to tell me what I'm not mm -hmm. doing because I'm doing it now. So I think there's also a, a little 
dreams are a little less important to me when I first realized dreams were important just because I did so much work now. Right. And, and unless there's an issue of some sort, like I had an issue in the pandemic that I had a dream about that really told me um, what I wasn't processing, mm-hmm. which was nice. Um, but usually it's, there's, they're not as meaningful as, uh, as my, my older dreams were. So yeah, they're sure. just, they're around. So yeah. So that, that's basically a little, mm-hmm. little tip on if you want to increase your dreams, you can. And I will state too, since we're talking about uh, dream recall. So I, I looked at a study that, or two studies actually, and I looked at you know, why people aren't having, like, why are some people not remembering these dreams of the deceased? If they can be so powerful, you know, why aren't we remembering them? And so I looked at the, the research and I looked at one's grief, personality styles, you know, attachment, you know, um, spirituality, all sorts of stuff. And what I found was dream recall is the most important factor in remembering one of these dreams. And so what it's saying is that we're probably dreaming of the deceased more than we're actually remembering it. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to think about. So, you know, like, because just because we have a low, you know, recall rate, there's dreams are going by without us actually catching them. And I think that's a really important thing. So now, that was actually one of the questions I, I, you know, I had. So now when the bereaved come up to me and ask me why they haven't had a dream, that's what the first thing I go to. And, it, you know, for most people, it actually works because most people don't remember their dreams that often. And so you can just always say, you know, though how how like if you if you're not remembering dreams that often how are you supposed to catch one of these dreams and that's what it feels right. like more it's like a fishing expedition more than anything um to to get one of these dreams and like when they happen and, and why is still a mystery in many ways because you know they are so powerful to people and you just wonder why can't we have more of them um if they are so powerful yeah i i don't have any memory of having a dream of my dad it's been two years i mean like i mean like you said, since they're always happening, maybe I am having them and I just don't remember them. Um, but it's weird. And I'm, I'm curious for you personally, how, what do you think happens after someone dies? No idea. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I did, like, you know, like some people would like if there is something after, you know, that's like the biggest mystery of them all. Like yeah. if, you know, but dreams, I think, I remember um, Carl Jung saying, if you're going to study the afterlife, um, he said he would probably use dreams as the first window in. Mm. And, you know, like, I don't know. I, like, all I know is that they're happening with both people who are spiritual and who aren't. And I think as much as, you know, people want um, confirmation that their religion or their the religion is the real one or the right one, which yeah. a lot of them, they do, right? I think the answer is just love. So, because the the most common factor amongst all all religions and you know atheists is that there's this love that's possible within us. Right. I think that's the goal, and you know like that's what I focus my attention on personally. Like it's it's great to know or even to think that there is an afterlife, but if you don't love yourself, what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, like I think love's the goal, and if believing in an afterlife helps you love yourself, that's great. You know, do it, utilize it. Um, but the goal should be to love yourself, not not that an afterlife is like the answer like no like these are the moments now that you're alive and i think love is the answer and i think once you get to love everything else i think will probably reveal itself on what's Mm -hmm. possible and what it is but i'm still getting there yeah you know i say like at the end of the day that's where i focus my attention and because like as a researcher i can't study the afterlife you know like it's just one of the things that i can't do but i know like these dreams are very unique in many ways there's dreams people can that really 
challenge our understanding of time in many ways too. Like some people have dreams of the deceased prior to knowing that the person died, um, which is really interesting in itself. Yeah. So like sometimes the person knows that the individual is on deathbed and then they have a dream that the deceased basically says goodbye and that they love them. What basically it looks very similar to what you'd have after you know that they're dead. Mm -hmm. But when they wake up, they call or they get a phone call um, to let them know that the person died. And you're like, oh, that's so interesting. Other times people reported that to me and they never actually had um, any idea that the person was was dying. Um, they were yeah. healthy last time they saw them and they had that type of dream. So there are very interesting things that challenge our understanding of who we are as humans. And so yeah. either it's, you say, a visitation or we have a connection with the other person in some way to let, like there's this love that's attached to us like a string and that when someone dies we are notified somewhere in our being so either one is fascinating um mm-hmm. but that's sort of what i would like go to and like i don't know which one is real either way it's really interesting to think about and to just really know that we don't know as much as we think we do about who we are just as humans right and what we're capable of and what our bodies do and it's crazy yeah it's crazy <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what do you where do you hope to see grief dreams and everything that you're doing in, in, in 10, 20 years? Well, I hope it to be a, a common thing like for people to talk about. Like right now, yeah. like I'm doing a lot of talks and interviews because no one understands that the research has been done. Yeah. And because of that, people don't feel that it's valuable to talk about and with the bereaved at all. Mm-hmm. But with just the numbers and the information now that you know I've collected, there's more than enough information to help people work through their dreams and to be a part of the grief journey conversation. Yeah. And so that's why I really hope that it's not something I need to tell people. They just it's like a common sense thing now. But like everything that we feel is common sense now had to be taught to us in some way. Right. You know, like right. <laughs> so it's just one of those things in grief that, you know, this is the the newest thing coming out that is just trying to help normalize the experiences even further that people go through. And so that's why actually I developed an online course for people to take to really help, you know, individuals learn about it because like I have a lot of knowledge. Yeah. But like, you know, because of the pandemic, I couldn't teach anyone anymore. <laughs> and so it's this online thing that anyone in the world can actually now you know, go and learn about and to be able to talk about it in a safe space. And I think that's one of the most important things is, is to teach people who are in theontology, bereavement clinicians, anyone who deals with the bereaved, yeah. to be able to know and feel confident to be able to ask about these dreams and to have the answers for them. Because as you sort of mentioned, a lot of these negative dreams that can occur can really hinder people in their grieving process in many ways. And one of them is that people will be afraid to go to bed. and restrict their sleep and sleep is so important for your grief journey and processing your emotions that you know like once we understand that and help people out through it then they can move through grief a little bit easier and to not be so afraid of of grief as as they are yeah i mean i remember when my dad died like and i was afraid to have these dreams because you hear about it right the negative dreams the negative impact and in seeing him and i remember i was so afraid and and then i just interviewed someone the other day and and their son um when their son died like they didn't want to go to bed that night because you're first not only are they worried about the dreams but also worried like they were that person was alive this day and the second i go to bed and wake up the next morning it's like it's over Mm. and and there's like this 
there's something so scary about going to sleep when someone dies, yeah. right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you could die. There's a lot of things that that can go through your mind too, yeah. right? It is a very scary time for a lot of people, but it's about trusting, you know, that you know sleep will make us better and yeah. help us. Because the worst thing to do is restrict your sleep, and then if you're trying to support others, you can't. Your emotional regulation's down. Your health goes down. Your cognitive performance goes down. So, like everything that you rely on as a human decreases. And so your chance of survival actually decrease with sleep loss. So, you know, this is the thing. So you actually need sleep to actually, you know, to live a healthier life and to process your emotions. So it's just one of those things. That, but once again, people aren't also taught about sleep and the importance of sleep in school, just like yeah. they're not talking about dreams. So a lot of people, when we go and we talk about like, what are the biggest issues that the bereaved have is that, you know, people who support them don't know stuff about sleep in general. Yeah. And the importance of that, because that can help a lot of people out to so they maybe their grief doesn't become as traumatic um, or complicated as they move forward. And they can actually help those around them, even their kids, a little bit easier. But, yeah, there's just like I said, like there's a lot of information we just need to still get out. And hopefully it gets to be part of like sort of the school system also, because I learned about dreams a lot and sleep in fourth year university course. <laughs> But we should be learning about this in like elementary and high school and right. teach them because it's one third of our life is sleeping. We should know more about what's going on and the importance of it. Yeah, I love that. Um, one final thing is just if, if someone's listening and they just lost their dad, do you have anything you'd want to tell them? Anything that can help? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, because everyone's so different. I'd probably just sit with them if they're in person. Yeah. And just see what comes out of their mouth and then respond to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, like if they did say something or they, <laughs> whatever, I may just say, you know, like, you know, your dreams have a lot of answers that you seek if you just know how to look at them. Mm. And I think, you know, that's a good way because a lot of times in grief or any kind of, you know, struggle that we're going through, we don't really understand why we're feeling the way we feel. Yeah. And we want to understand and we'll put a reason to it to make ourselves feel better. But we don't actually know what's going on. And dreams really help us pinpoint the issues, the true issues that need to be looked at. And so I think, you know, if you you really sort of want to know who you are, what you're looking through, your dreams is a, a good answer to to help you out. So cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, how can people find you and what you're working on? Well, they can go to my website, griefdreams.ca. And on there, there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of stuff we even talk about, like common questions and all that sort of stuff is on there. Yeah. And you can see the one-on-one -on -one consultation and also the online courses on there. And then I'm, uh, I do the Grief Dreams podcast. So if you want to know more about people's grief journey, sort of like you know what you have here. Yeah. But then yeah, the follow-up question on have anyone has ever had a dream of the person? That's what mm -hmm. you get there. <laughs> and it's really amazing. Like I love it. And I, just like as you said, right? It's amazing to hear other people's stories. It's great. Yeah. And then I got Instagram uh, at Grief Dreams, and I'm also on Clubhouse too. So yeah, there's a lot of places you can find me if you're interested in the dreams. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you for having me and just having a platform for yourself to be able to help the bereaved in the world find some answers that they're seeking and to normalize the experiences. Because as you said, like we all need to be together to make this grow as yeah. a thing that we talk about. So I appreciate what you do. Oh, absolutely. Thank you.